Hey everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast once again, and I am in this amazingly beautiful house that belongs to my special guest, Eddie Reasoner. Hey, How's good morning. Going? Good morning, Keach. How are you? I'm doing good. And uh, now, actually, uh, Eddie Reasoner is a neighbor of mine. You just live right down the street, and we've known each other for a number of years. But it is an amazing fact that you are one of the former members of Three Dog Night, the band yeah. Three Dog Night. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're with the dogs, as you as you like to uh, refer to it as the dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, but you're also a composer, a singer, a songwriter. And you have composed some amazing things for television and the Weather Channel and stuff like that. And we're sitting at your piano right now. We, we are. It's a beautiful Kauai piano. This is yep. a piano even has a history to it. Uh, you mentioned some of the historical instruments around the home here. Um, this particular piano was owned by Matt Rollins. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, it played on a lot of the Springsteen albums and some Allison Krauss albums as well so i i take very good pride in my right in my instruments uh, so it's got a magic to it it's got a history and a magic it, it, it does it has a lot and, and matt's an amazing player right uh, and so uh, many of you probably recognize the name matt rollins yeah he, right he yeah. played on Famous a lot of session willie, player. willie nelson yeah, yeah willie nelson stuff and he played wonderful. on some of our stuff back in the day and uh uh so so many musicians around here in nashville uh, and so many of the instruments have a uh, have history to them, like my recording console, the Neve recording console right. that I have. Yeah, um, yeah. He, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, about the Neve console that you bought from a special uh, bluegrass artist that we will mention here in a little bit. Um, but anyway, uh, you are a amazing keyboard player. I mean, like the first time I ever heard you play, like I've known you for several years and I hadn't heard you play yet, but I knew who you played for. And you watch you me, were, you watch me fish off the boat. I watch you fish all the is. time. And, uh, and I've been trying to get you on my podcast forever. And so I guess it was about a year ago or so, or a year or two ago that, um, Gosh, we've known each other for what six years, five, six years. Well, I don't know. I, th- and I've I never think I've uh, had the lake house over there right, for yeah. about seven or eight years now. So. Yeah, and uh, I had never heard you play, but I knew who you were, and we talked and stuff like that. And then one day I came in here, and you started playing the piano. I was just completely blown away at how <laughs> talented you. you are and how great of a well, piano player you are. That's that's a compliment coming from you, Keach, because you know I know you know, and uh, you know you've certainly had a quite a career yourself. I I was uh, the other day. Uh, you know, I always like to, one of, one of my big pastimes is going to garage sales, you know, and so. Oh, that's and right. estate yeah. sales. And so I, I'm looking through these uh, CDs at an estate sale the other day, and I pick up Lone Star, you know, and, <laughs> and there you were on that one. And then the guy had another Lone Star record, and I look at it, there's Keats, you know. So uh, you've, you've had a, quite a quite a career and quite a run with it, and still you guys are still yeah. out there hammering the road. You so. know you've made it when your CD's are in a garage sale. I mean, when they're well, actually I don't know about that. Dan Seals, uh, <laughs> England Dan, the, the late Dan yeah. Seals, whose brother was Jimmy Seals. And yeah. Seals and Cross. Danny and I wrote songs together. And in fact, Dan and Wayne Carson, who wrote uh, Always On My Mind uh, for, for Elvis and Willie right. and uh, The Letter, uh, which Joe Carter right. recorded, and the box tops had the original hit on it. They were dear friends of mine. And uh, Wayne uh, and I... Uh, uh, really partnered up early on in the in the late seventies and late eighties, uh, early eighties uh, to write several songs together. Uh, one of which uh, continues to air on uh, um, television every day. I guess two or three times a week, which is a fishing song. Believe it or not, oh, wow. Wayne, Wayne Carson, the guy uh, always on my mind, and, and and the letter, and she's acting single, and I'm drinking double Scotty. Just had a string and string of hits. 
he taught me how to write, but I taught him how to fish. So we, we, we ended up writing this little fishing song and, and, you know, we originally wrote it for my, with my buddy, Bill Dance in mind. And of course, everybody watches Bill Dance outdoors. And, uh, I called Bill up and I played it for him. And this is like 1980. And, uh, I played the idea to him over the phone. You know, of course, at that time you're trying to sing something over the telephone. It sounds horrible. You know? right, yeah. So you don't want to, I, I didn't <laughs> learn. I didn't know at that time, but, but I played it for Bill and Bill goes, God, oh, I love the song. And of course he was using Jerry Reed's song, uh, uh, today is mine. And I was writing for Reed's publishing company at that time, but Bill and I just happened to be friends. And so I, I said, well, Jerry, you know, if you don't use Jerry, you know, there's this, he says, well, I don't, I don't even know if I'm going to have a show next year or not because I don't, you know, everything's so de- sponsor dependent. Uh, yeah, right. But he did have a show, but interesting, so did I. I ended up uh, entertaining with Corey Wells from Three Dog Night at the Bassmasters Classic in Watertown, New York. Uh, they had it up at the, on the St. Lawrence Seaway. Right. Uh, and the Bassmaster Classic was at that time the Super Bowl of bass fishing, and it still really is. Right, yeah. So, you know, I, being a fisherman, you know, I mean, it would be like a football player getting to go, you know, sit 50-yard line at the front, wow. front, front row at the center, you know, at the, or on the bench at the, at the Super Bowl. So, right. Uh, I was there and we entertained. And so I introduced this little song that we wrote, uh, called chunking and winding. And, and it makes no sense at all. It's just, you know, a crazy idea. But to a fisherman, I guess it kind of makes a fisherman, sense. Yeah. You chunk the bait yeah. out and you wind, wind it, it back. So, <laughs> so, uh, I got, kind of got the idea from, uh, Snuffy Miller and Snuffy was a, a manager who worked with Conway Twitty for a while. And, and Snuffy and I would fish together some and he would go chunking and winding and chunking and winding. <laughs> and so you do that a, a gazillion times and you might catch a fish. But, you know, so we kind of thought it was an interesting idea. And so uh, I sang the song, and I didn't know, but ABC's 2020 was there. And they were doing a segment on the Bassmasters Classic and Ray Scott and right. all these founders of uh, really founding fathers of bass fishing. And after the show, uh, the, uh, Bernie Stone with ABC's 2020 come up, and he says, I want a copy of that song. I said, I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> uh, we just wrote it. Wow. And and he goes, well, go record it. And I'm going, well, you know how much it costs to record. And back in that <laughs> yeah, day, you know, those... wasn't you, you couldn't record hits in your bedroom yeah. like you had to have a bunch days. of money. You to had to go, go to, to you had to spend a lot of money. So I I, I said, well, I, I write for Jerry Reed's company, Vector Music. And so he said, well, get me a contact. So Harry Warner, who became the vice president of BMI uh was managing jerry reed at this time and at that time i was one of the three writers at vector music uh, there was Dick Feller, who wrote Eastbound and Down with Jerry okay, right, Reed, yeah. and Stuart Harris, who wrote uh, No One Else, No Nowhere Else on Earth for Wynonna. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and myself was there. And, of course, I was a rookie. You know, I yeah. mean, compared to these guys, were, 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 I mean, Dick Dick Feller could write a hit on, on the, you know, <laughs> On anything. On anything. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, anytime he puts pen to paper, it's usually a hit. Some days are diamonds, some days are stone for John Denver. You know, he just wrote, and, and uh, uh, he and Reed, Jerry Reed liked to fish. And so yeah. it was kind of a natural fit for me to be over at Vector Music. But So ABC's 2020 got together with Harry, and they, somehow they came up with a recording budget for me to do the song. <laughs> After we recorded it, Jimmy Houston, who was kind of uh, a friend and friendly competitor, I guess, with Bill Dance in the tournament, uh, as far as tournament fishing goes, uh, he said, I want the song. 
And I said, well, I kind of promised it to Bill Dance. He said, no, nah, it's my song. <laughs> so, uh, so we worked it out, and it all worked well because I still love Bill. And, he, and, and Actually, in a roundabout way, Bill Dance saved my life, and I'll tell you about that shortly. But uh, anyway, Jimmy Houston picked a song up. It's his theme song, Chunkin' and Winding, and it's in its uh, 32nd year, I think, wow. on television now. Because so, is Bill I, Dance I, still doing uh, fishing shows and all that stuff? I don't really. Well, everybody, I think uh, it's, it's all seasonal. Uh, you normally do 13 or 26 shows a year. Yeah. Um, these guys, I think, probably just get as many in the can when the fish are biting as they can. That's true, you know? yeah. Because uh, it, it doesn't happen every day, but it's a it's, it was a fun song called Chunkin' and Windin', and, and I just sat down at the piano and went. And so we, we ended up doing uh, that with, a, with an acoustic guitar, and Hal Rugg, one of the premier steel players in this town, played on that. Wow. Uh, and, and it has that little signature steel guitar lick, and you know, yeah. and, and to meet, you know, uh, some of these guys, it was just a, a real treat for me, because fishing, like golf or any other social sport, opened really up a lot of... Uh, avenues to not only meet people that share their love uh of of music uh but also share the love of fishing or whatever and so i know you like to fish your kindred spirits for sure absolutely so that kind of got the ball rolling for me to begin writing with wayne carson and later on, Dan Seals, who was a friend of Corey Wells with Three mm-hmm. Night. It all goes yeah. back to uh, Danny uh, was recording over here on Shoreside Drive, which is not far from us. A fellow by the name of Lee Hazen had a recording studio there called Studio by the Pond. Uh-huh. And many hits were recorded there, particularly with England Dan and John Ford Coley. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Kyle Lenning was producing uh, Dan Seals. And Dan and I hit it off, and he liked to fly fish, and, and I knew That's very right. little about that. fly he, fishing. But Dan but, Seals designed or built his own fly rods. He did. I, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, they absolutely. Were, they were amazing fly rods. Like he was a Well, Danny and his brother Jimmy uh, both have made uh, tremendous inroads into the music, mm-hmm. being Jimmy Seals of, of, of Seals, Seals and, and Crofts. Crofts yeah. mm-hmm. Who just and passed Diamond, away Diamond, Who just recently. passed away, right. Yeah. And then we lost Danny, I think, in 2007. Yeah. I was in Los Angeles when we got that news. And, boy, I'll tell you, you know, we've lost so many wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful musicians and songwriters and people that, that was just amazing. And in Nashville early on, when I was, uh, uh, you know, coming up in, in the ranks, uh, you know, I would work piano bars. And, yeah. of course, everybody would always want to hear, you know, play uh, uh the kids yeah, the favorites. Kids or, yeah, you know, I mean, right. The uh, Casablanca theme or or something, you know. Right. And and of course, I, I or knew Floyd very, Kramer, some Floyd Kramer songs oh, or something like that. Not so much Floyd, but I mean, everybody wants to hear "Last Day," you know. Uh, yeah. Right. So uh, they all want to hear that, but. Yeah. Um, so you had to have a, a pretty rounded repertoire. Yeah. And, and you, I think that because, you know, I really grew up in rhythm and blues music early on. When in I Nashville? Was in didn't school. you grow up in and around Nashville? I grew up, I went to Hendersonville High School. Right, yeah. And uh, so we had a lot of talented, great people uh, in, in Hendersonville High School from all um, genres of music. Uh, Robbie Osborne and I were in the same class, and, of course, his father was 
was of the Osborne brothers who oh, yeah. had out Rocky Top, the original. Wow. And he would go out on the road with them. And they'd let him go out on the road. So, uh, you know, and, and then he could catch up on his classes. And so, so many others. Um, the late Danny Husky uh, was Furlan Husky's son. Uh, Danny uh, had an unfortunate uh, demise early on in his life, and, and which took his life. He had a, uh, but, uh, but he was a very, very talented drummer. And he was like our first influence at, in this, this end of the region from, from California. When Dan, Danny uh, Husky huh. moved into our, our school, he was the coolest guy in school because he, he was from California. And, oh, yeah, and, right. And he, he knew, uh, wow, you know, being from L.A., wow. you probably know all the stars. And, and he, he was a wonderful drummer. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, so we were exposed to a lot of music. Uh, I particularly was, uh, you know, like everyone else, uh, 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 slave to the radio, you know? Yeah, right. And, uh, now, what year would this have been when you were, like, listening to the radio Well, I graduated in, in 72, so, you know, we're talking, like, you know, mid-60s probably, yeah, you right. know, and, uh, you know, when the association and... Uh, the Wrecking and, Crew and, was, was alive and well and, oh, they and were playing alive on all and the well. hits. And, and Joe Osborne, uh, I, who I met later on, you know, uh, was part of that Wrecking Crew uh, group. Right. And, and uh, so uh, I met, uh, mentioning the, the Bassmasters Classics. Yeah. Uh, the first one that I ever went to... Uh, not to skip ahead, but 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 you know, going through this through school here, I'll t- I'll tell you that Joe my Joe Osborne story in just a second. But um, uh, learning about different styles of music, I played the marching band, played saxophone, mm-hmm. so I was able to read, particularly treble clef, not so much the bass clef. Right, but right. Uh, at that time, you know, Ed Sullivan was really big. Everybody wanted to watch. Right. You know, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan right. at night or the Doors or, or whoever. And so uh, so one day, you know, a kid uh, walks into the classroom and plays this. Something yeah. like that, you know. And I, I thought, well, that's that's that's, that's that uh, song by the Doors, you yeah. know. Light My Fire. And so, you know, then everybody was just amazed. The guy's name was Dan Boone. Did you play piano at that time or were you I still saxophone? I, I really, I had a piano in the home and I, and I had taken, you know, maybe two months of piano lessons uh, when I was small. Boy. It didn't hit and, you and, yet. And, Is and that it, what you were going to do? Then we drugged the piano around from different places we lived. But you did, at that time, you weren't, you didn't consider yourself like, hey, I'm going to be a keyboard player. You just were fat fiddling with it a little no, bit. No, I always kinda... liked music. I wouldn't say that I, I uh, you know, it was very fashionable to be in a combo at that point in time. Uh-huh. Okay. And so uh, once I began to sit down and, and figure things out, mostly by ear, uh, and lift these things off the records, you know, as the records began to, you know, Cream was really big during that time. They had the yep. White Room with Eric Clapton mm-hmm. and Ginger Baker. And, you know, all these influences, particularly. Steppenwolf, uh-huh. uh, who was produced by Richie Potalower and Bill Cooper, who also produced all the Three Dog Night big hits, or mm-hmm. most of them, wow. uh, the Suitable for Framing album, you know, Easy to Be Hard, yeah. and, uh, and uh, One is the Loneliest Number, and all of these uh, uh, great songs. Yeah. 
Uh, of course, I was still in high school. Right. I, I never dreamed that I would meet, <laughs> Little meet did you know you were going to be their keyboard player. I must be a band member, you know. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was a, it was a good musical lesson. Uh, you know, playing in the marching band, we, we would uh, travel from here to Miami, Florida, and march in the Orange Bowl Parade. And, and you know, it was a proud moment to, for, I think, everyone that was in the band and, and certainly those that were outside yeah. looking in. Uh, so uh, later on, I ended up having to leave the band because I had gotten good enough at the keyboards that a lot of the bands that were working uh, wanted me to play the gigs on the weekends. And so, you know, by having that uh, uh, avenue of uh, I can make money at this business, yeah. uh, why do I want to mar march in the, my senior yeah. year in a, in a frozen uh uh, band uniform yeah. sitting out on a bleacher somewhere when I can be, uh, you know, watching yeah. people dance and have fun. And that's interesting, though, how they called you to be a keyboard player and not a saxophone player because you could have probably made money playing saxophone and some bands. No, and I doubt like it. That. I, I wasn't a great. I, I I did sit first chair, but but there were others that were far greater than me. Oh, I see. Uh, you yeah. know that I that I still look up to. Yeah. You know, so you that, sort of excelled at piano more than you did saxophone. You sort of well, gravitated it, toward it. It just seemed like a natural instrument. It had a great tone to it. Yeah. I could uh, understand the theory of music. Uh, much more more so than the guitar. I did have a guitar early on, and and of course I know some of the, the positions of chords and frets and strings and that sort of thing, which gave me a, a better knowledge of the keyboard because, um, you, you know, everything in Nashville's done or used to be done with the number system, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and Still you go is, into yeah, a session, yeah. you know, and they'd have a, a fourteen. Now, for those that don't know, the Nashville number system is a system where you can, whereby you can. Uh, chart a song and give the same chart to every single musician in the band drummer bass player guitar player whatever and whatever key the song is in that's one and then it goes you know as you go up the scale it, it, it's a different number system and it's just kind of like a overall uh layout of how the song is going to go so yeah if you so you go to, into a session you yeah. know and it, and it throw 63 uh, 6221 or yeah. 1411 right. and if they wanted to change the key they didn't have to rewrite the whole chart they could just say okay now instead of one instead of being a flat one is a g or whatever yeah you know, you so know you, you can play the same chart play one three chords yeah. in any in any key so. yeah so and if the singer time, was if it was too high for the singer or something like that they could say let's lower it a key and you could still use the same chart and many of the great records were recorded that way right uh, yeah. where in los angeles most everything was notated you right know, exactly. except for glenn campbell he said he couldn't when he joined the wrecking crew he couldn't <laughs> read any music at all yeah, he, just, he just he just picked it up because knew he knew how to play it he just listened to play. it play by ear uh, but uh hal blaine and all those guys I, I, are obviously and were great readers and yeah. and are legendary so uh i wasn't a great reader on the keyboard i could read pretty much anything on the saxophone but uh, you know i sit down and you start putting two left hand a left hand and a right hand and a, you know this together i could read it but i was very slow i was much faster at picking it up by ear so uh I began to listen to a lot of the rhythm and blues records, the things that were coming out of Memphis. Uh, we, we had a late night, uh, and many people talk of this when you listen to interviews on YouTube or wherever, of uh, the John R. program here on WLAC Radio here in Nashville. Uh, John R. really introduced uh, 
uh, rhythm and blues music uh, to a wide audience because they were, you know, a huge channel. And, you know, you could pick them up from Texas to Florida Gulf Coast or all over. But John R., and I would listen to John R. late at night and hear all the great stuff that was coming out of Motown, Detroit, Memphis, a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stacks down in Memphis. And, of course, you know, the Sam Phillips's things from uh, over uh, off of Beale Street and, and that, that whole movement and sound. Wow. And so it really began to help me develop. So, you know, with young people coming along now, there's so much music. It's like going to the Library of Congress and saying, I want to find a book on how to play drums. Right. You know, you're going to go wander through and there, well, here's our drum section, you know, and there's like 2,000 books on how to play drums. So everybody has a method, but I think the best method is ear training, listening yeah. to records, learning how to lift the the what other people have done and i think really it's harder to emulate what someone else has done uh rather than you know coming up or, or being creative and just finding a lick on your own you know right, when yeah. you've got to listen and, and and but you've created your own licks there with a with a lone star yeah. so so now you know when they come to hear you play they hear they, they, they want to hear my Keech, licks <laughs> they hear they hear Keech's licks absolutely yeah. but you have a great ear though and you and i think you started out playing by ear a lot you know and well i what did, other I, did. I, I did and, and like i said i i got uh, uh, away from the friday night to football marches and went into the to the nightclubs and many times I would be underage to get in the nightclubs and the guys would go, well, he's with the band, you know, come on. And so they'd sneak oh, yeah. me in, you know, and I would be the only white guy many times in the bands that we played. And at that time I ended up getting a Hammond B3 uh, and I still have that B3. You still, I was just going to ask there. you, do you still uh, have it? <laughs> and and they were extremely heavy to, to haul around. And my dad uh, modified his pickup truck so that we could get the B3 underneath oh his camper top. And I wasn't old enough to drive. So my father would drive me to the job. So yeah. I remember one night we went into the, a very uh, 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 part of town. I was the only white guy in the band. And, <laughs> and uh, we played a place called Tiny's down in, and they called it the Bottoms. Yeah. here in Nashville off Murfreesboro Road, and the people were so respectful and so nice. And the fact that we were able to play Wilson Pickett wow. and the fact that we were able to play uh, Sam and Dave and, and some of these uh, wow. things, uh, you know. I bet uh, there was probably some time that your dad was like, couldn't you have just played saxophone? You know, well, my dad encouraged me. He said, well, you know, you should have picked up harmonica. You know, it would have been a much know, right? easier, you know. And, yeah. and so did everybody else who helped me lug those Hammond organs around the country. I know, right. But, I know there have uh, been many a nights when I was loading drums in and out, drum cases, and even before I had cases, just hauling in drums, I'm like, why didn't I just learn how to play harmonica or flute or something? Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's always, uh, you have to you have to have the big hog in order to be able to be the, have the big That's right. sound. So, That's right, yeah. uh, so I had the Leslie Tone cabinets. and Did it have the spinning thing, the spinning oh, horn? Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. That's like the that. Leslie, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It has a rotor in the top, a top tweeter horn that spins and yeah. the bottom. And the most interesting, you know, as, as, as the evolution of music has come along, one of the greatest albums I remembered hearing was by Carlos Santana. Right. And and, and I know you remember, you know, Black Magic Woman yeah, and a lot of, course, of those. Yeah. But the the way that they mic'd that Leslie was they would put a stereo. You know, stereo was a big thing right. because we'd been listening to AM radio mono for so mono long. Forever. And then when finally FM, we had a, a station here in Nashville called WKD. KDF and their sister station was the AM KDA. Right. But KDF uh, 
Stereo. Well, it was stereo, and there were there were guys that you know they did the late night thing because they were cool and they yeah, had, they had the big deep voice on get yeah, out late radio. night that, radio. That was Santana. Yeah, you know. So, uh, and we treasured listening to seventeen minutes of Inagata De Vida. I mean, you know, it was just uh, Iron Butterfly, and yeah. and those people were 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 inspirations Jimi hendrix experience i mean to hear yeah. this stuff when it was really coming out led zeppelin and robert plant and jimmy page the guitar player and grand yeah. funk railroad and and uh it was a great time Three Dog early Night 70s and all yeah. of these yeah. people you know i remember the first time i heard this on the radio i went Wow. Yeah, you know, that's a And then you're playing it on stage later, years later. Yeah, and years (laughs) later, then I'm playing it on stage, which is kind of with the original members, you know. Yeah, uh, that's incredible. And and hearing, uh, you know, Corey Wells sing Mama Told Me Not to Come or Old Fashioned Love Song or Easy to Be Hard and and Black and White, Danny Hutton, you know, all these great hits that that I remember as a a boy growing up in, in high school that meant so much to me and others, obviously, because... So many fans, even today, the band's still working. Uh, and uh, even though they only have one original member now, yeah, Danny right. Hutton's it, and the rest of the band. Uh, uh, not so, what original, was a typical but, day like when you were touring with um, Three Dog Night? What was it like you uh, did you did everybody sound check every day? I don't think there was an a, a typical day because <laughs> it was all different. we were on the road so much. Um, I was on the road 24 days a month. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean we worked 24, I mean, we actually played yeah. performances 24 days a month but when you figure that we, we left here on a thursday and you know we'd play probably a friday saturday and maybe a sunday and then fly home on monday and i would be home for two days yeah. you know tuesday and wednesday and then back out again on thursday uh and i, I remember feeling. you know some of the busier days we actually a couple of times uh, did uh, three cities in a row you know, we'd leave uh, Rapid City and and go from South Dakota to uh, Atlanta and do a By show, bus, and, right? and then up to Washington D.C. and do the Birchmere up there, or something. Yeah. You know, we didn't right. do many clubs. Most all our were concerts at that time. Yeah. Now, as you know, the uh, band is continues to work. I don't think they work as many concerts as they used to, but but still quite a few. Now the big casinos have have yeah. the, have the concert venues. As you work, I know you guys work mm-hmm. a lot of yeah, casinos. we do a lot of casinos. I'm, it's amazing now that I'm seeing more in the casinos. I'm starting to see more cover bands playing. They seem to be more well. I think sort tribute, of band, tribute, tribute bands, bands yeah. is is the big yeah. key ticket now because people want to relive those moments. They you do, know, yeah. and 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 you know, with it's the hard to get the original of, thing when they don't. They're not around anymore. When the when you know when they're passing. Uh, now you know if you keep, there's only one original mm-hmm. you yeah. know there was only one really original three dog night yeah. and uh, but so you know and i when, think people when, were happy to pay a ticket price for music that's close enough to the original uh artist that they followed you know like if it's a tribute band that just does um uh like um fleetwood mac or something like that well you know, that's it's right the next best thing to see in fleetwood mac Live. i think there are a lot of tri- fleetwood mac tribute bands and now that christy mcvee's gone yeah um you know but there's always been a fascination with that group and yeah. uh and they've, they've always had great music yeah great and, music. and I, i'm just what i guess my point is i'm starting to see casinos pick up a lot more of those uh those tribute bands now before when before it would have been well we just want the original but now they're starting to book now we're playing casinos and seeing advertisements for these cover bands tribute, and, bands. And tribute mm-hmm. bands that are coming up 
Well, you know, if they do a good tribute, yeah. you know, it's just worthwhile seeing. I saw a Beatles tribute band not so long ago, and they were wonderful. Yeah. Each, you know, they're I mean, getting they, better and better. They they really had they really had it down. And yeah. and so you know you're, you're almost thinking you're going back into it's like a, almost a time capsule. Yeah. So it's it's really refreshing to to bring back a lot of the older songs and do them in a, in a new way. I know some of the country artists now are going back and getting a lot of the hits. And and one of the things Wayne Carson told me when when he and I were writing early on was that you know a kit a, a hit don't care who sings it. Right. You know, yeah. and, and it's an evergreen. You know, and so all you aspiring writers out there. Uh, you know, you can write uh, Baby's Got My Blue Jeans On, you know, in several different ways. But, you know, if you write uh, The Way We Were, it's an evergreen. Yeah, and right. And that means, you know, it's as good today as it is 20 years from now. Whoever's or, singing or, it, right. Or, yeah. Whoever's yeah. singing it. And, and you you're, you know, you're losing a lot of the, um, the interpreters like Tony Bennett, you know, did his last concert with Lady Gaga. And it's interesting, you know, because I had a chance to talk with Jorge Calandrelli. Uh, Jorge is a wonderful arranger and uh, out in Los Angeles, and he worked with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. And he's, yeah. he did, did the, or, you know, he composer and orchestrator. These wow. guys amaze me because they hear so many instruments. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's just scary. I remember going to uh, uh, the ASMAC Awards, which is the American Society, not ASCAP now, but ASMAC of mm -hmm. musicians and composers. I met Johnny Mandel there, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking, Johnny Mandel, let's see. I know, I know that, you know, and then I went, oh, wow, I remember him. He did the theme for the Sandpipers, you know, okay, or, yeah. or, and then I went, no, he did MASH too. Oh, you wow, know, yeah. so you can only, and, and it, a really humble and nice person. Um, now, speaking of television. Uh, Hal David. Um, I met Hal David had, there. All, these guys yeah. are legendary. Bird Backrack, Hal right. David, legendary writer. Can we talk about your, um, you had composed some things for television. Um, which I is did. pretty really amazing uh, composer that you were hired to do some things for like the Weather Channel. And Can, can you give us a little well, bit about. I really wasn't hired by the Weather Channel to, to do these things. Uh, the Weather Channel was an interesting uh, concept because uh, I had, uh, been writing you know i mean in music you have to do everything yeah. to, to make money at it because you have, you're a jingle writer one day and one day you're playing country music on a session and yeah. the next day you're probably doing uh um maybe a, a jazz session or yeah. something so you kind of have to be eclectic you know and and and, and know all genres of music how right. to play yeah. you know it's not just a boom chicka boom you know and so you might get thrown into a session and if you don't know what's up you know, I mean, one of the scariest sessions I did one, one day was with uh, Porter Wagner, believe it or not. Uh -huh. Porter okay. had a studio downtown, and uh, Tom Pick was the engineer. And Porter calls me up one day, who also liked to fish, Porter did. But he said, I want you to come down and play. Uh, some, some, we're just calling a bunch of guys together, and, and we're going to, uh, you know, uh, just kind of jam. Well, there was a wonderful guitar player there. He's passed on now. His name's Tommy Kovart. Mm -hmm. He was just I mean, they had some heavy hitters in that session. And I'm just like... Just to try and hope to get some music out of it, kind of jam. Yeah, it's called yeah. Porter just like... I think it was for his own entertainment. Dolly had just uh, uh, recently left and gone out to California to to start her new career, solo career. And Porter was just looking for something to do, I guess. you know. So yeah. he would turn the tape... At that time, we had the two-inch tape machines. And, right, yeah. and he had a state-of-the-art studio, Fireside Recording Studio. 
He'd just turn on the tape and let everybody go for it. And you said it was scary? That was a scary session? It was for me because we were improvising, and, <laughs> and, and they had some of the biggest session players in town there. It's kind of intimidating to... Well, you know, I, I really, if I'd have really thought about it, I probably wouldn't even have sit down at the piano because, you know, but, but, you know, when you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, when you're young, you know, right, well, yeah. I can play it. Let me sit down and, uh, yeah. you know, you find out really quick, you know, what caliber of musicians yeah. you're in the room. So what with. came out of that, out of that scary session? Oh, I'm not anything? sure anything other oh, okay. than the fact that I was very humbled when I left, you know, yeah. but, uh, uh, Can you play real quick the thing you did for the Weather Channel? And, and well, you were saying earlier things, that you, you know, might recognize I've it. I've had right? 28 songs on the Weather Channel, uh, and they're mostly jazz instrumentals. They, they, they used them. Uh, Weather Channel's recently changed formats, but back a few years ago, they had a, a segment called Local on the Eights, uh-huh. and they would play different artists' music if you passed the criteria of what they were looking for. Right. right. And they had great groups. I mean, you, you know, uh, that they, that Lee Rittenauer was being played, that Dave Grusin was being played, uh, the Rippingtons were being played. So, you know, a lot of people know my music, and I teamed up with a fellow by the name of Gary Oliar, who was a wonderful violin fiddle player. He works with uh, uh, Jim Messina of, of Loggins and Messina. Yeah. Right. And uh, I was talking with, with Kenny... Kenny Loggins one day who had worked with Gary a lot, Gary Oliar, and he's a wonderful guitar player, has his own studio. He, he lived here for quite a while and had a studio, and uh, now he's in New Jersey, and, and Kenny says, Gary's one of those kind of guys that can hear dogs barking in the next county. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he had a wonderful <laughs> ear. Wow. And so um, uh, he and I came up with this little song called Rain Dance. I haven't played these things in so long, you know. It's like yeah. uh, you know, we had another one out called Dew Point. You know, I tried to name all my songs with weather. Oh yeah. Wow. So uh, the sound of this piano is amazing. It's a great piano. I yeah. mentioned Matt Rollins earlier, yeah. so I was really. It's glad no to accident get why Matt Rawlings played on this and other, you know, the. Well, he ended up getting around. a Steinway endorsement, <laughs> so I got the Kawhi, yeah. and I used to have a Kawhi endorsement. I was uh, oh, yeah. uh, had a had a Kawhi endorsement for a great number of years with Joe Joe Dulesky, and I guess Joe's still at Kawhi, and they were very wonderful to me, which is how I made it to California. Yeah. Uh, which is a whole other story. I'd never been to to uh, California except stopping through. Uh, on my way to Australia or somewhere. I did yeah. a, a tour in Australia in 1978. And so I uh, had a chance to stop there and uh, and visit with uh, some friends and stay a few days in L.A. But, you know, it was the biggest town I'd ever seen. So I really <laughs> had not thought very much about going back until I was at the NAMM show, which is uh, where all, a lot of musicians go to try to 
get endorsed. National or, Audio National Association of Music. Association Merchants. of Music, yeah, man. It's like and audio all professionals the, and that's where yeah, a lot of professionals go there and a lot of the companies have professionals uh, display their products and showcase their right. products instruments and for mixers and buyers. Like yeah, right. You know, I mean if you own a music store or something, you go to the NAM show to see what's new and what's right. coming up to next year. So they'd be buyers there from Sam Ash music and Different, yeah. different mom and pop type music stores around the country, and I the Nam show was in New Orleans that year. And being a pilot, and I fly, so it was very natural for me to I want to go to the Nam show. And I went down to New Orleans, and met Don Ulrich with Kawhi. And, and Don, I had some big jobs coming up. I had finally over the years worked myself to where I could become an opening act, and I was actually opening for Charlie Daniels. Uh, not every your own band, right? With my own band, yeah. yeah. And, and and the original songs that I'd been writing with Dan Seals and Wayne Carson cool. and myself and some of the other songs, we we put them in the show. And um, so, uh, you know, having these opportunities to you know showcase your music in front of their audiences, which really nobody came to see me. Right, everybody right. came to see them. <laughs> but it was nice to to thank you for putting me on the show and. Um, so I went down and I told the guy, I've got some big jobs coming up and one of them, including the Statue of Liberty show in New York city, where I opened, you know, for Eddie Rabbit and Jerry Reed there, um, uh, for the rededication of Miss Liberty, yeah. which was a, a great show. And, and so, uh, you know, by having that, uh, I ended up uh, being able to pick up a few musical endorsements and one was Kawhi. And the, the guy says, well, you know, we don't have any money to pay you, and and you already have your piano, which I had bought a Kawhi electric grand piano to to, to carry it. It was a beautiful oh. instrument, and uh, he said, "But what we'll do is we have something new coming out called MIDI." And of course, nobody knew what MIDI was at that time. It was musical instrument, di- digital, digital information. Yeah. And so, but we didn't, nobody knew. He said, well, you know, you can do some marvelous things with MIDI. You can assign your keyboard some different sounds and play different modules that sound like strings or orchestrations. Well, God, when I played this, you know, I just heard everything, you know, yeah. in my with my creative ear you know i was <laughs> wow. like oh man i hear the violins doing this and the cellos doing this and oh I, and, and it sounds like this and you know of course the yeah. guys were really on to that early on phil collins a lot of those people yeah. were already and playing. the fact that you could record midi and then change the sound of the or the totally change the instrument later with the same of uh midi notes absolutely That's amazing. so um so we got got this job and and he said well if you're ever in california uh, bring your piano by if you're performing out there, and we'll put a MIDI kit on it. That'll be our uh, the way we're wow. gonna we're gonna respond. You know, uh, for your endorsement of our product, we'll put the MIDI kit on for you. I said, well, let me check our schedule. Something <laughs> I, I I think maybe we might have a job in California. I came back and. And I told the fellow who was managing me at the time, and you know Wilson. Yeah, we need to go to uh, California. Wilson, and I said, we're going to California, Wilson. <laughs> he said, well, when? I, we got this thing coming up with opening for Conway in August in, in, in Lampy, Missouri at the Swissville Amphitheater. I said, we're going next week. We're going to California. We're going to get this MIDI kit put on my piano because it sounds big. As, I, I, it's huge. It's the best the best thing. <laughs> we drove for three days across the desert oh in, in, a, in a van that – 
that he and I had rebuilt the transmission in. And, you know, I mean, it's these stories just, you can't yeah. make this stuff up, you know. Yeah. You kind of got to be a, a, wear a lot of hats, you know. Yeah. So one day I'm, I'm playing piano for an opening for Conway Twitty, and the next next day I'm underneath the car, you know, rebuilding, pulling the C6 transmission out, trying yeah. to rebuild it so I can make it to the next gig. Yeah. So there's lots of things you got to do. It's just not all tour buses and airplanes and fun, although it is fun on another level but when you first kind of getting going you know it's it's tough and i talked to steve warner you know i love steve warner's playing yeah. mm-hmm. and he said well you can you believe it we we wore out three uh four brand new ford trucks you know trying to pull our trailers <laughs> oh yeah across right. the country so you know what it's like having been on the road being a road warrior yourself oh, yeah. to the van to, and trailer days and all that oh gosh yeah you know and, and then i remember the days of pulling a trailer and, and six of us piling in a lincoln town car and trying to yeah. go to a gear or a station wagon or something you yeah. know i mean Honestly, back in those days, we didn't think of it as, uh, honestly, we didn't think of it as being, a, oh, we're in a van and a trailer. We were like, hey, we're making a living playing music. That's all we cared about. We just didn't want to have to work at a restaurant or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying we were just happy to be making a living. We, we worked at restaurants during the day and played music yeah, right. at night. But I, I kind of did that. I, I actually flew airplanes during the week and uh, for a company and and uh, and played music, you know, whenever I needed to, you know, with the, when the jobs were just beginning to come in. So that that gave me a real advantage because I was able to get around the country by flying, borrowing an airplane, yeah. you know, here and there. So it's, you know, I thought, well, this is pretty neat, you know. I just uh, so I I remember telling uh, one of the promoters over in Charlotte, North Carolina, she was booking something for Ronnie Millsap, and I said I I would really love to open the show for him. And well, you know, nobody knows who you are, and you know, you you have to go through, through all that. Nobody, nobody probably cared. Yeah. I said, but I have a good show, you know. So, so I said, well, I'd like to come over tomorrow morning and talk to you about it. And she's going, what, are you going to fly over tomorrow morning and talk to me? I said, I'll be there in the morning. I got me on on. I got in the plane, borrowed me an airplane, and I was sitting in her office at nine o'clock wow. in the morning. She was pretty amazed that I'd gone yeah. that effort. I still didn't get the gig, but. But it was nice to, to so go. So when you're at a it. private airport, you land in your own plane, you just rent a car there or have a taxi come get you or something? I mean, how do you get around once you land well, in your own plane? Well, the best way you can a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, you have to be creative. Yeah. <laughs> sort yeah. of like anything else. Somebody come uh, get you. But, uh, no, I usually would rent a car. Or sometimes if it was a short trip, a lot of the uh, fixed base uh, operators, FBOs as we call them, they had a courtesy cars for pilots. Oh, that's nice. And so, yeah. uh, you know, if I was going to be gone for 35, 40 minutes, you know, I'd say, you know, I'll borrow your courtesy car. And, and many times they would let you do that, but many times not. You know, yeah. many times you'd have to yeah, call somebody. Call a taxi or something. They would Uber. arrange for a car for you. <laughs> but I figured, hey, you know, I'm getting an airplane, so, you know, at least I can do the spring for a car rental, you know. Yeah. But. You never know. I mean, it's not like my name's a big household word either. Probably more people have heard my music than realize. Right. Yeah. But I'm very honored to have had the opportunity, and it is an opportunity, to uh, share the gift. Mm-hmm. And I want to say something about the gift. The gift, as you know, comes from somewhere out in space, yeah. from God, from the higher being. Maybe it's within you, within your DNA. Wherever it comes from, it doesn't always stay with you. Right. Uh, you know, you can have the gift and lose the gift if you don't treat it with respect. So I've been blessed with the, with the gift of being able to play and sing and write and produce something here and there. 
as you mentioned, some of the CBS movie of the week had some yeah. stuff on that, and NBC and In the Heat of the Night, and ABC's Twenty Twenty, and and, and, and that had to come from somewhere. I mean, some it had to. Just well, drop into yes, it. And, and also, you know, you look for opportunities. Um, I had a really, we wrote a really good song uh, for uh, a movie that was coming out. A uh, music supervisor in Los Angeles told me about the idea and said, do you have anything like this? Well, a lot of times they're looking for a song. We wrote a birthday song, for example, and happy birthday is like so expensive for to right. license. Well, you know, if you have another birthday song, which we do call It's Your Day, uh, it was on The Young and the Restless you know, that I'd written. So the girl comes in and sings my birthday song rather than theirs. But many times it's so expensive, and, and, and if they're on a budget, you know, that's understandable. So you, you, if you're in the right place, get the call. And they'll say, do you have anything like the Goo Goo Dolls? Yeah, or, right. you know, Keats, maybe. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything that sounds like Led Zeppelin over there, yeah. Keats? Or what do you have that sounds like Lone Star? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so you don't never know what you have. Uh, and if you don't have it, if you're creative enough, you can write it yeah. pretty quick. And so uh, there was many times we we wrote songs like that, and and you know, and you never know where your inspiration is going to come from. Like I was in a convoy uh, back in the Gulf War days, the first Gulf War, uh, caught in a convoy out on uh, I-65. I was going to write songs with Jan Buckingham that day. Mm-hmm. And hello, Janny. Uh, Jan, Jan's written so many hits. Uh, Queen of Denial for yeah. uh, Pam Tillis. Uh, I Don't Mind the Thorns When You're the Rose for Lee Greenwood. Moments of Truth for Whitney Houston, which is wow. in the new Whitney Houston movie. Wow. So she And she performs a lot of these writer's things. Uh, anyway, I was going to write with Jan, and I got caught in this convoy, so I'm pulling over the side of the road. Lines are coming to me. Uh took us years to get through Nam, where I fought for Uncle Sam, and I really never knew what I was there for. But this time, I know we're right, and I'll defend the stars and stripes, you know, wow. uh, that kind of thing. Well, I got over to Jan's, and in three hours, we had a song called Stand Your Ground. Wow. That ended up being the most requested song on that particular segment that I appeared on the Nashville Network and sang it. Wow. Because, you know, the obvious, the, yeah. the, the connection of and the patriotism means. was at an all-time height, that flag-waving. Yeah. People were standing on overpasses and waving flags and cheering our boys on. And, and so was I. You know, I'd appeared at a number of the rallies and, and things that Lee Greenwood couldn't make. I was yeah. saying, I'm available, you know. <laughs> and so we, we did. And, and they would and, say, do you have anything like God bless the USA? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. What, what do you have? Well, we got stand your ground. So, yeah. um and then when uh, when the towers fell, and in, uh, in, well, we were, I was on an airplane going in, into Lexington, Kentucky that day. We were the the next to the last plane in before they shut oh. the airport down. Oh my gosh! And uh, you know, no, everyone remembers nine eleven. Well, a month after nine eleven, I wrote a song called uh, "Let America Roll." With the idea in mind of that's what uh, Todd Beamer said, you know, let's roll. Yeah. If you remember, he said that on, on that, what was that, uh, the flight that went down in Pennsylvania. Right, yeah. Flight 93 or whatever it was there. That, that There were a number of airplanes that went down that day. And so, you know, I get stirred up by, you know, uh, I'm a big patriot. I like America. Yeah. And, and you know what? You really don't really begin to appreciate or I... I, did, I had a greater and a new appreciation for that American flag, Stars and Stripes, when I left the country. Yeah. First right. time I went to Australia and I came home and I saw those Stars and Stripes 
It was mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It was moving. And, we live and in so a I, I get I get moved by things like that. I wrote a thing for for the Obama uh, inauguration um, that I sang around. I didn't sing it at the inauguration. I wasn't hopeful that I would, but uh, um, uh, you know, uh, we're Americans. Yes, we can, and, and you can look that up on YouTube. I think yeah. there's a couple of uh, um, segments where I did. Uh, Are TV you writing that. still? Are you continuing yeah, to write? I'm still on writing. That? I. I I'm not writing as much as I once was because I'm fishing. Yeah, right. And, and I think, well, the pandemic, um, it's, it's a couple of things happened. Uh, obviously, the pandemic came in in the spring of 20. Right, yeah. I had a heart attack <laughs> on Labor Day weekend yeah. of 20. Wow. I didn't really realize I was having a heart attack. But, folks, i, I got to tell you, if, if you're if you have a burning in your chest and you think it's indigestion, go get it checked out because yeah. uh, I kind of thought this was indigestion too. I'd had it for two or three days and it didn't seem to go away. And finally and I said, you, uh, you know, it, it got to really burn. And I said, I think I want to go see what's going on. So, you know, we got to the emergency room and uh, they said, we, we've had a heart attack. And so spent the weekend in, you know, the, the, the uh, ICU and, yeah. They ran an arteriogram on Monday after Labor, on Labor Day, and the wonderful doctor that, that ran the arteriogram said, I can't help you. You're about 98% blocked up on your Widowmaker. He says, no wonder you're alive. So I guess all those years of road work and road food and grabbing Doritos and a Coke mm-hmm. and hot dog, and, you know, anything you can eat, pizza on the road. Yeah. For me, uh, you know, it, it, caught, up with it, you, it huh? caught up with me. And, and he said, I don't think your heart's bad. It's just your, your veins are clogged up. So mm-hmm. that's sure what it was. But and you they started tur- walking a lot too, right? You well, I do now. Soon. I yeah. walk you about walk two and a half miles every day. I did my two and a half last night on the treadmill because it's too cold to get out. But, I know, right? But uh, anyway, they transferred me to, to St. Thomas West. I had a great team down there, Dr. Clay, Clayton Kaiser and uh, Dr. Mark Robbins. They were they're just wonderful. And, uh, you know, I had my choice of a couple of hospitals to go to. And, yeah. and they did me. Did me great, and and spent a couple of weeks in the in the hospital, and now I'm walking every day, and and I've been given That's a bonus great. life. So you asked, am I writing? Uh, yes, I'm I'm writing. Uh, we wrote a song a while back called Sunday Morning Hymnal. I'll give you the MP3 of that. Maybe you might okay, want to yeah, play it on right. the, on your segment here, but uh, it's it's really a special song. It's about an old hymnal. Matter of fact, there's there's an old hymnal right here hymnal, on the piano. On the book. Yeah, sitting on the piano. And, uh, and the and the lyrics are Sunday morning hymnal, a book all torn and stained with songs of my salvation from the pages we would sing, wow. and the church for generations like a testament of time. That Sunday morning hymnal gives me hope with every line. Wow. And so um, I was just down in Franklin uh, a couple of days ago, and a fellow at the, at the Sony Christian label has heard that, and so I sent it oh. sent it over to see what the, his reaction might be. So we'll we'll wait and see on that one. We'll yeah. we'll see. But well, uh, you own. I want to switch gears a little bit. You own a piece of history that we were talking about. This has been a couple of years now. Um, uh, Randy Scruggs had passed away, and the his board in his studio the the famous neve console was up for sale and you bought it and you I have did, it now I in did, your studio. thanks to my good friend don cruz uh don uh, had music road technology and he was a tech technical guy in town and and uh my father had passed away and we were talking after my 
my dad's uh, funeral and i said you know boy wouldn't it be nice if you could really record some some really great records and i had recorded a lot of stuff uh, having my own studio for a little while to just just for the sake of being able to pump these things out when people would right, call, yeah, absolutely. you know, uh, what I was going to tell you is, uh, I got a call on that David Franco, uh, who's a music supervisor in LA. And he asked me to write a song, uh, for a movie with Debbie Reynolds that was coming out and it had a horse and Debbie Reynolds. And we wrote this really, 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 uh, great song for that. And, uh, well, I think it's a great song and Debbie passed, oh, you know, man. and her daughter did too, Carrie, who was in Star Wars. Right, yeah. So the song never got in and made the picture because I don't think the picture got made. Oh, I see. Yeah. But you never know with these music supervisors. They're always looking for new talent, mm-hmm. new bands. So, you know, it's, it's another avenue or revenue stream Yeah. Uh, besides the radio. But I think it's cool that uh, the that Neve board. Now, for those that don't know, Rupert Neve from England designed back in the '60s and '70s designed the best, in in my opinion, a lot of audio people's opinion, the best consoles, recording consoles on the planet. And because everything, his attention to detail and the circuits and things like that were world class and solid. You know, it's, it's it's the electronics are musical. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. uh, just like this piano. When I hit a note. You're not hearing just one note. You're hearing several other notes. Yeah, frequencies uh, and or, or, harmonics. Or pianos, yeah. you know, ringing. Yeah, there's a reason why that there's, sounds there's so good. The, yeah. Right, it sounds musical. And you, you know? bought uh, Randy Scruggs' old Neve board, and you've had it down in your studio for a while, and getting it gone through and cleaned up. Well, it up needed and, a little love. Yeah. You know, it had been so, in the studio since Randy passed. So and, Eddie and I have plans uh, coming up soon to record some stuff down there. I'm going to bring my drum kit down there because you just live a few doors down and set up my drum kit and we're going to record some stuff on that famous. Now, what are some of the songs that came out off of that board? I mean, you had a whole list oh, of Oh, my stuff. goodness. Well, he's had three Grammys recorded on yeah. the board. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, it, it is. And Snake Reynolds, who just passed during COVID. We lost so many great people during COVID. Snake yeah. was the principal engineer for Randy. And and Snake was recalling uh, a lot of the, 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 you know, they did a two or three volumes of will the circle be unbroken uh oh, yeah, you know, yeah there and, and steve martin playing on that or oh whatever, it, it had so many amazing. so many amazing players crosby stills and nash played on the board uh um allison kraus uh, george jones vince gill uh i mean uh, it reads like a who's who when it, yeah. when i read the history of the of the studio and this console and and heard from snake what um what his experience was recording uh, all these people, um, Tosh Mahal. Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, you, you, you just wouldn't think that all that music would yeah. have gone through that. There's console, an energy to it. There's a, there's a magic. I knew I, I had to have this console right. and yeah. they were going to take the end of the studio out. It had been bought by, uh, and he had his own console. So we were going to move it somewhere. And I said, well, I, I have a perfect place to move it. So we, <laughs> we, we struck a deal and thanks to Don Cruz for, uh, for alerting me with that, and we've uh, yeah. put a little bit of love into it. I think the rats loved it too for a little while, Uh-oh. but but uh, we've we've repaired all that now, and it's uh, almost a hundred percent. So wow, I'm ready to bring my drums down there and uh, well, I'm see ready what to, they sound ready like to record through that them. What little I know about it, I'm gonna have to call some good engineers like Tom Harding <laughs> and some of those guys to to come over and help me out with it because it's it is a. a uh, a professional yeah you got to know what you're doing it, it has a thing. lot of bells and switch, switches it's almost looking like a 747 <laughs> cockpit you know but you're a pilot so you know i can figure it out strange. yeah absolutely and uh, if i haven't lost uh, 
anything there. I don't think I have. And, and by I having this great piano, I, at least I'm able to, uh, I think, do uh, uh, listening-worthy demos. Oh, yeah, right. And, and, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Right, that's true. You know, a lot of the record labels hear, but they're not listening. Yeah. So you want them to listen. So those of you who are coming up, uh, and you know mm-hmm. from from what I've heard you play, uh, every note counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it's a ghost note or whether it's a, a, a full-fledged, full-on uh, note, everything has to have a – it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. Everything yeah. has to fit. Without it, it would sound totally – yeah, and, and you know, or, everybody can't have the loud button. You yeah, know, I mean, right. you know, if the guys to design the, the the great console, every channel would have a me button on it, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. and where it goes from, you know, plus 10, plus 30, you know, because everything, and that's one of the things that I think we've lost in the digital world is that the dynamics. Yeah. Because when vinyl was, you know, and, and I, I have a friend in L.A., Lenise Bent. Mm-hmm. And Lenise is one of the few female recording engineers, and she worked with Steely Dan. She recorded the Tusk, mm-hmm. uh, wow. and she worked at the Village Recorder right. Oh, I remember LA. you mentioning her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lenise. In fact, you were going to look her up when yeah. you were in L.A. Lenise is a big proponent of vinyl, and she's speaking all around the world on trying to bring the vinyl movement and right. it is back it is back uh, yeah it is back so i just think that the, when you record the vinyl the dynamics of things that you that you hear and that we heard of those recordings that were so influential like the ones i told you richie potelore and bill yeah. cooper did mm-hmm. with three dog and 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 you know others and steppenwolf and john Kay and all of those i mean born to be wild i mean it's a yeah. evergreen magic carpet ride all those things were recorded by richie potelore and bill cooper but they understood dynamics and so if there's one really cool thing that came out of the three dog night ep- experience uh, it was working. One was working with Corey Wells. Mm-hmm. Two was working with Michael also. Michael was a phenomenal guitar player. And Michael gives all of his credit to Richie Podolore, who just passed away. Mm-hmm. Richie had a knack. He could play a lot of instruments. And so getting to work with Richie Podolore and Bill Cooper, even though I didn't work with them a long time, but having i mean those guys were legendary and i see why they're legendary mm-hmm. not only did they have legendary skills and legendary way of thinking of yeah. putting records together but they had legendary equipment of to which to get the sound that they knew they needed and an ear uh, to be able to oh, tell he, what was right it and was what amazing was not right. to, and so we did a, a thing at Danny Hutton's studio and they, they said well Eddie you know you, you were in there as long as everybody else it took you to do actually I wasn't we we went ahead and did my part and Richie and I settled around and talked I know for close to an hour of just playing stuff you know yeah. he played mandolin and you know we we were just shooting wow. the breeze you know so so, uh, but it was, it was really neat to, to work with Bill and, yeah. and, and those Richie. people that like, when you're, when you're in the mixing process, say for instance, like it's like a painting, you have to know when to stop, when it's good, when, when you're done, cause you could just keep picking it to death, right? You could keep adding things you and know, taking things I away. I thought about those that kind of the other day. Know. It's sort of like tying a fly. 
Yeah. You can put too much hair on the fly and the fish won't hit it. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> but true. But if you, if you use the right proportions, and that's like baking a cake or eating some, you know, grandma's cookies are, are better mm-hmm. than the ones you get at the store because she knows how to do it. Yeah. And I don't think there's a real formula for it. I mean, everybody's got their own methods. Yeah. Um, George Martin obviously had his method and, yeah. and, and Ed C and Kyle Lenning and, and some of these, uh, Garth Fundus yeah. and all these people that are, you know, you see their names on the records and I, these are just a few of so many yeah. in this town now. But they have that skill to know, they to know listen and know when to stop, when it's good. how much compression to use, yeah. how much EQ to use, when to use EQ, when to boost, when to cut. I don't yeah. I just have to go my ear, you know, and yeah. if, if I have to turn a knob around backwards to get it to sound right to me, <laughs> then that's what I do. But I'm not sure that's the correct way. You know, yeah, right. the correct way is, I think the correct way is getting to know your equipment. Yeah. And like Rupert Neve would say, just mess with it. Just just messing with it and messing with it and playing with it. And, it does, but everybody and, can't afford a Neve console, you right. know, and so you got to start somewhere. So I remember one of the first Weather Channel's recordings that I did that got aired was on a PV24 channel (laughs) PA console. Yeah. I didn't have the money to be able to have a real live console. And then later on, I picked up a Tascam 3500 and then i worked on a 3700 with automation and those were really prosumer models at that i think the console sold for like twenty thousand twenty one thousand dollars yeah and you could cut some pretty it was a big format board and i used it to record uh i did a documentary film you're into film and 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 that i did a documentary film on the history of the cumberland river which i wrote and produced which became the film of the tennessee bicentennial two-hour film uh Kim you telling me style, about that, yeah. but I used the 3500 console uh, and the 37 to record the tracks, the sound tracks for that. Yeah. And um, so it can be done, yeah. but it can be done a lot better, of, yeah, course, of course, if you have an SSL or a Neve or, <laughs> or you know, one of when these. It, when it really needs to count, you know, get, the, get out the big it stuff. It does. When I, <laughs> when I wrote the, th- for the deer hunters out there, I wrote the thing for the television show, The Buckmasters. Okay. And so, um, you know, I, I wrote that in the middle of laying in the middle of a, of a, of a cornfield in, in Alabama, cotton field in Alabama. Uh, and, um, and so it ended up being the theme of the television show. And I wanted it to be great. So I went to Treasure Isle Recorders where I met Dave Shipley, the late Dave Shipley. Mm-hmm. And Dave just had a, a, a wonderful uh, crew. Tom Harding en- ended up engineering and, and it sounded so wonderful. And they were using the new 3M digital machines at that time, wow. you know. Yeah. And boy, to have 32 tracks of digital, are you wow. kidding me? It sounded <laughs> so good. And, and I, I asked Tom Harding, I said, how how do you know what, like you were asking, how much do you, how do you know how much to add here and that? Yeah. He said, I went to school for it. Yeah. We didn't have a school to go for it. When I was in school, mm-hmm. there was no school, but now they've got great engineering programs. Belmont university here in Nashville has a great recording program. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to Mike curb and, uh, and the, the blue Raiders, <clears throat> down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, they have a, a great recording. Uh, and Blackbird Academy. There. Everybody that I've ever met that came out of Blackbird Academy is awesome. Is like very uh, disciplined and educated and skillful. I've never met. I want to go back to school. I know. I want to see what I'm so much to learn. Because yeah, I want to learn it too. And so yeah. that's uh, now I have the affordability to thank God to 
for 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 great people who've been mentored me yeah. along the way. And I want to mention uh, you mentioned writing songs. I had the great fortune of writing with the late Sidney Sheldon. Oh right, and of course okay. you know Alexandra Sheldon, uh-huh. yeah, uh, who was her husband, and they were married for a great number of years, but. Uh, um, Sydney and I wrote some songs together. One called "You Made Me Believe in Angels," and another kind of word and cup of coffee, and a couple more. Uh, he was a, a wonderful writer. He was the most translated author in the history of the world. Right, and not, he also wrote the all the TV shows like you know "I Dream of I Genie, Dream of Genie and stuff like that. Uh, Heart yeah. to Heart," you know, with yeah. uh, Robert Wagner and and um, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it's amazing, you know, who you who you meet. And along the way, you just don't know. Like yeah. uh, I went to, when we drove my piano to California, I was going to tell you earlier, when we drove my piano to California, I ended up meeting a, a lady by the name of Carol Connors who had been the original singer for the Teddy Bears that Phil Spector had produced. And she wrote the theme from Rocky along with Bill Conti and Ann Robbins. I'll be and so she introduced me to a lot of the people in a roundabout way. And, and so it was really kind of, and through this person introducing you to that person, that I ended up meeting Sidney Sheldon and writing songs with him. So that, that initial driving my piano across the nation to Los Angeles, I spent more time in L.A. probably than I have in Nashville yeah. in recent years. Wow. So, uh, so when I was with the dogs, it was always a pleasure to, to play L.A. because I'd, I could see so many of my friends there. And yeah. we still have a lot of friends uh, Alexandra's sister lives in L.A. now and still does, still lives there. Well, um, I guess we're going to wrap this up here in a minute. Uh, thank you so much for being on my podcast and talking to us and bringing us back into the history. Can you play something? Uh, it doesn't have to be the thing from the Weather Channel, but something that you wrote that is beautiful and that make this piano just like really jump out. All that I wrote? Yeah, and we'll just take it out with uh, with something on the oh, piano, wow. if you don't mind. I don't know. I'm put I, you on I, the spot there's, here. There's things I wished I had wrote, <laughs> I had have written like this one. Yep. See, I wished I'd have written right. that one. Joy to and the I world. wished I'd have written this one. You know, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, there's there's several several songs. Uh, that uh, here, Here's a little instrumental. Could you take us out with your Weather Channel thing? Which is, I think is a, a, incredible. Oh, which, which one? Which one? The, uh, <laughs> There's so many. Uh, the I don't the rain dance thing? Surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, well, rain dance. Okay, so we're going to take it out. This has been Designated Drummer with Eddie Reasoner. 